patterns, permutations, time, rhythm, coordination, meter, concentration, tempo, modulation, groove. Welcome to the Drum Mantra Podcast. This is Rich Stitzel, and it's time to go deeper with your practice. So what I what I did is, you know, at some point I started realizing, like, I can put in these, you know, these sextuplets and make it sound essentially kind of faster than it is. Polyrhythms, polymeters, what are they? How are they related? How are they different? Let's take a look. Before I set up anything in a session, I try to find out, hey, what's the first song we're going to do? Can we go listen to it? Is there some kind of demo? And then, because I hate, I hate just like throwing up like any old cymbal, snare drum, and whatever, um, building a kit, and then going to listen to the song, you're like, oh, well, I wouldn't use half the stuff that's up here. The way to be successful at something is you have to be so passionate about it that time disappears. You do not care. You are just in it. You can't wait to wake up because you get to start again. When you go to sleep, you hope that you dream about it. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about passion. I, I really feel like that's a really under-emphasized part of being a drummer, is getting sad. What happens is you're moving the accents everywhere possible in a measure of 4-4, four, four, a measure of 3-4, and a measure of 5-4. You break it down, you know, sometimes you'll do three in each hand or whatever, but it's a, it's a combination of just those two things and throwing in a single kick drum or a double kick drum, and now you have these odd phrases you Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Drum Mantra Podcast. I would like to thank you for listening to this podcast. It really means a lot to me. I'm trying to stay on task, stay on schedule, and it's been a nice three-week run now, so we're trying to build a habit here of uh, a weekly a weekly post in the podcast world. Before we get too deep into the podcast today, I want to tell you about the lesson of the month. In the Drum Mantra membership area, all the members are working on a lesson right now called the Whole Triplet Workout Part 1. There are actually 20 parts to this Whole Triplet Workout, and even the members don't know that yet because I haven't sprung that on them. We're not going to do all 20 in a row, but we are going to do Part 1 this month. So for the entire month of October... The members will be working on the different pieces of the lesson, and then there's a culminating performance of the, of the exercise series. There are 21 exercises in part one. Each is a one measure long rhythm coordination pattern, and then there are a bunch of permutations of the left hand over a three-limb ostinato with the left foot, right foot, and right hand. So they will be doing each piece throughout the month, and then at the end, it's a 12-minute long performance of the piece. I'm wishing them all luck and send good energy their way because it is a pretty challenging exercise, and I really hope that they can get through it because I really look forward to seeing their final performances the way their final performances work is once they there's a there's an MP3 play along and a PDF of the exercise, and they will film themselves playing along with the MP3, and then once they have it perfect, they will post it to their YouTube channel, usually in a private link, and send it to me so I can go and watch it. And if they get it right, they get a mention in an email and a mention here on the podcast and I really celebrate 
anyone that can complete the lesson because it's not easy. It definitely will require, I would say, probably 30 minutes of dedicated practice every day for the month to get the lesson of the month assignment down. Some people might be able to get it quicker. Some people might have to work an hour a day. But anyway, the lesson of the month is the whole triplet workout, October. You can hear the final performance if you go to drummantra.com slash L-O-T-M dash 1019. L-O-T-M stands for lesson of the month. One zero stands for October 10, the 10th month, and one nine stands for the year. So drummantra.com slash L-O-T-M dash or hyphen one zero one nine. Okay, go check it out. See if it's something you like to do yourself. If so, you can join the Drum Mantra membership. You get seven days totally free to check it out. Jump on the lesson of the month challenge and let's get to work. It's pretty amazing what happens after you've worked intently for even a month, 30 minutes a day on some focused practice. Your playing just completely opens up way beyond the actual exercise that you were working on. It just frees so much stuff up in your playing because you're developing a habit of focus, you're developing a discipline, and you're developing some coordination that, that, like I said, it carries way beyond the actual exercise. So if you want to join us, you're more than welcome. It would be great to have you. Again, drummantra.com slash L-O-T-M dash 1019. Today, I am going to play you some audio from a video that I shot recently for a series I created called For the Record. And basically what I'm talking about today is my experience in the music business and specifically in the recording industry. My personal experiences over the last 25 years as a musician who gets hired for different kinds of recording sessions from being in a band to being hired to play in someone's band, to being hired to play with a band for an artist, Um, jingle sessions, I think there's a couple different things. So I'm just gonna play this audio. I apologize in the beginning, the audio was recorded, I was outside on a windy day in Chicago, so you're gonna hear some wind, it's only I think it's only bad for about 10 seconds near the beginning and then it, it kind of evens out so you can hear it. If you want to watch the video with subtitles, you can um, go to the YouTube, the Drum Mantra YouTube channel and look up For the Record Part 1. Um, while I have you here and before we get started, if you are interested at all in leaving a rating for the Drum Mantra Podcast or saying something about the Drum Mantra Podcast, that would be amazing. That really helps with the, uh, with the metrics and getting the podcast to show up on searches a little better. So every bit helps. If you're into it, if you've enjoyed what I've provided so far, I would love to, to uh, get a rating from you. 
Um, thank you so much. And without further ado, here is For the Record, part one. So doing a recording session has many different levels to it. There are a lot of facets to uh, recording in a studio. There's recording with your own band. There is recording as a hired gun in a band. There's recording as musicians for a producer for like a jingle or a film score. And what else might there be? That's all I can think of right now. Those are the ones that, those are the main ones that my experience has taken me through. So when you're recording in a studio with your own band, there are two different versions of that scenario. There's the scenario where your band, you know, writes the songs, pulls their money together, goes into the studio and records. And then there's the other scenario where the band is maybe on a label and you're working with a producer and you are kind of, even though you're playing songs that you wrote, you are uh, you know, having to do what the producer says to do. So that's, that's a different scenario. And a lot of times that gets bands into trouble because you have your songs down the way that you like to record them, and then a producer comes in, and even if they do something as simple as change the tempo or change the form of the song, or a lot of times they make your band play with a click and a lot of times an original rock band or an original group is not used to doing that. So all of a sudden things become very foreign in that situation. So when you're in a band situation, you've got a couple different scenarios that you need to think about. And one of them is just, you know, can you play with a click? Are you that kind of band that wants to play with a click? And if you don't, You've got to make sure that the producer understands that, and you know that's a whole thing. Um, I've done a lot of that. That was the first decade of my career was recording in scenarios with an original band and also an original band with producers. Luckily, everyone in the band understood how to play with a click, but we had to learn how to play with a click in those early days. That was back in the 90s for me. The last 18 years or so, I've been playing more as a sideman, so I'll do either jingle sessions or uh, being in a rhythm section that's hired to back an artist, or most recently, um, and this happens a lot as well, getting hired to come in and play with a band that just needs a drummer for the session. Sometimes, um, you know, it, it's weird, sometimes the drummer is the first person to get cut by a producer because the drums are so particular in you know, the consistency and the time and everything. Um, luckily, I don't have to replace drummers in bands very often. Uh, so this most recent scenario was a situation where the band doesn't play live with the drummer, but when they were gonna do their record, they decided that they wanna have a drummer on the record, and the last record they did, they hired a drummer from town um, in, in Chicago. In fact, Chicago. You see it behind me. Here it is. Um, so in that situation, the one that I'm that I just did, and the one I'm going to talk about today, was a recording session where I came in and joined a band that is already a band. They had their songs. We had one rehearsal about two weeks before the session, and then they also had a producer. Now the interesting thing is. They usually don't have a producer, maybe. I got the feeling. 
because the singer, who's also sort of the songwriter, had different opinions than the producer, and, and kind of the rule of thumb is, you are supposed to, if there's no producer, you go with the person who writes the songs. You go with the songwriter. If there is a producer, you really have to go with the producer even if the songwriter is saying something different, like the chain of command, if there's a producer, the producer's at the top of that chain. And sometimes it gets really, you've got to kind of figure out how to balance that because if the singer's telling you something to do, and the producer's telling you something different, that's when you have to start making your own informed decisions based on your experience, based on what you feel the music needs, and then you can start to step in and make suggestions on your own. And I definitely experienced that in this last uh, recording session. They were recording a, a whole record, so actually, well, I was on six tracks. I think they're doing a couple without drums, so it's a it's a regular length record. And um, you know, I had to put on my own producer hat a lot because sometimes I'm hearing something that I think should happen that the singer or the producer hasn't thought about yet. And in that case, I have to gently try to figure out how to make suggestions without sounding like I'm trying to take over the session. But to tell you the truth, in, in every session I've done, and I've done hundreds of them over the years, over the last 25 years, I've, I've done hundreds of, of records. And you get to know what a recording session is like, you get to know what producing is like, and how things are going. There's a train, it's kind of loud. Down there. Um, so, eventually you start to get a sense of, of what feels like it's gonna be right. And that could have something to do with something as, as, uh, as simple as the tempo. Maybe the tempo is a couple sticks, clicks too slow or too fast. Wow, there are a lot of trains over here. So sometimes you might hear the, you might, you feel the tension of the band and maybe you sense that they, <clears throat> they're trying to put, they're trying too hard to keep the tempo up, but at the same time, you have to know, well, this song needs that energy because this, the singing has to, has to maintain the energy. So you've got to have a little powwow with the band and be like, you know, we need to really play on, play on top or really push this stuff. You know, really lock into me. I'm going to be holding it together. Um, or you might have a feeling like the singer is trying too hard to get her lyrics in or his lyrics in, and you might make a suggestion that it feels like it's a little too, too, too rushed or too tense or too, too forced. And you, you suggest let's let's slow it down a click or two. Now, until you've played with the click a lot. One beat per minute difference is probably very difficult to discern, but there is a difference and you can feel that difference and you can imply that difference. You can also imply a feel by playing a little bit on top of the beat, behind the beat, but I'm not even gonna talk about that right now. I'm gonna talk about the big pictures of recording. So when you go into a session, <clears throat> you need to be prepared for everything. Broken gear. My, my headphones broke. I brought in-ears for myself because I like to have in-ears so I don't have the big heavy weight of, the, of the, the thing on my head. Sure enough, I get to the session, I pull my ears out, and my 
my ears broke. So I ended up having to use the big headphones. So I needed to be prepared for that situation. I prefer the small ones, but I can do, I can do either. I chose to use the house drum kit for this particular session. You never know what you're gonna get with a house drum set. So I like that challenge. It makes me think out of the box when I'm playing something that's not familiar. So I enjoy playing <coughs> on things that aren't familiar. As long as I can get them tuned to sound right for the music, I'm, I'm good. Um, so I had that scenario. And it just so happens that it was a sonar drum set. Sonar drum sets have different drum keys. So I had to figure out that because I didn't have a sonar drum key. Luckily the studio did. The heads on the kit were super thick. So I had to tune them differently than I normally would. I had to tune the, so the, the, the toms to sound good with the music. And it's interesting because the toms might not sound good in the room. They might not sound good anywhere, except when you hear it in the mix, you go, oh yeah, that works. So you've got to really, you can't go in and be like, this is my sound. You can, I mean, of course that happens, but a lot of times I like to, to make the drums sound right for the song that I'm playing. So a lot of times I tune the toms into the pitch of the song. So when I play a fill, it doesn't interfere with the harmony of what's going on in the music. That's a little trick I learned a long time ago. I kind of figured out that that's, that's a good idea. Um, another thing is being prepared to take control of a different ring. So um, I noticed that my snare drum had, a, had a too, much, too much ring to it. So I did a little gaff tape trick where you take a piece of gaff tape, you fold it in half like this and like this, and you stick it down on the drums. If you just put a piece of tape flat on your drum, it's not gonna change anything because the tape is gonna vibrate the same right with the head of the drum. You gotta have the tape flat with a piece that goes up like this. That piece that goes up, when you hit the drum, that thing is what's gonna stop the resonance of the drum. The drum's going up and down, you've got this piece of tape wiggling, that changes the resonance. So I'll show you a little picture of that because um, I had to do that on this drum. And then there was a little bit of a, a high ping in the snare drum. And all I had to do was just loosen one of, the, one of the lugs just a little bit and it took that ping right out and all of a sudden, within seconds, the drum sounded perfect for the session. And, and it was very simple, simple changes. Two pieces of gaff tape, a little detuning on one of the lugs, change the tension of the snares a little bit. I like to think of the, the snare tension as sort of the, the reverb of the snare. So if you loosen the snares a little bit, you get that. And if you tighten the snares, it becomes shorter, snappier, shorter, more staccato sound, or a little bit of a little bit of depth to it. So it depends on the tempo for me on how tight I make the snare drum. If, I, if we're playing a slow song, unless it's like a, a tight R&B soul kind of song, in which case I would have the snare really tight, but if it's like a slower rock kind of song, I'll loosen the snares a little bit so I get a little bit of that breath, that reverb from the actual drum, the, the fake reverb of the snares buzzing for a little longer. It just kind of makes it fail, fill up the sound a little more. It's really great.
think it's a great idea to bring a couple of snare drums to a session. A six and a half by 14 metal, a five and a half by 14 wood, and then maybe a specialty snare, something small, and then, you know, anything else you want to bring. But you definitely want to have a six and a half, a five and a half or so, four to five and a half, and then, you know, something that, that can really crack, something tight and small, and then maybe something that's big, something that's eight by 14, something that goes to a really fat, puffy sound. Now, there's a lot of uh, things like big fat snare drum you can get these rings that can change the sound of, of toms and the snare, so that's a great idea to have those in your bag, you're ready. To change the tone of the drum, a lot of times in the old days, I say the old days, in the 90s, it would be real common for the, the, uh, the producer would want a different drum set for every song, a different sound for every song, and that was a pain. It would take forever. So you start to figure out how to retune the bass drum and retune the toms and muffle the toms for certain songs or make the toms ring for certain songs. Change the pitch of the snare and change the tuning of the snare and the wetness of it. Those things are very easy to do without having to change the drums. I used one snare drum on this entire session and it worked perfectly for everything. Because I would just give it little tweaks, I'd hear the song and I'd go, okay, and I just, just change the tuning just a little bit so it just, it feels a little different. It matches the song. And a lot of times when I'm playing on records, I want the drums to just sit in the mix and I don't want you to notice the drums. I want you to feel it, but I don't want you to, I don't want the drums to stand out particularly, especially on like a pop record. So I'm really conscious of tuning the things to kind of fit right into the mix, right into the key of the song. And that, that has worked great for me. Um, another thing is being very comfortable in a studio only happens from being in a studio a lot. Now, a lot of gigs these days, church gigs, you're going to have headphones or in-ears, you're playing to a click, so younger people are getting used to playing with a click a whole lot more than they used to be. When you're comfortable playing with a click and you're comfortable with different styles of music, a recording session can be really pretty painless. Now, you want to be very comfortable in the studio and because everything is under a microscope, you really have to be able to pay attention to what you're doing and what everyone else is doing and how everything's working together. Uh, a very common phrase is after, after a take, the producer or the engineer might say, confessions? And that's when everyone fesses up. That's when you say, I need to go back and punch verse two, or uh, the, the groove didn't feel very good going into the bridge, or we really need to get the pocket happening from, from the beginning of the song. It just didn't feel like it settled until the verse or whatever. And so you have to really sort of have this producer mentality while you are doing the recording. That way you can help make sure the session is gonna be good. Because once you leave, they're stuck with what you gave them. And you know, if you try to sneak it by and, and hope no one heard that, well, they're gonna hear it eventually. So you have to really be, uh, be, be honest and, and really be paying attention with your ears to what you did in that take. So you can either go back, because a lot of times, in my opinion, drums should be first note to last, one take. It drives me crazy when someone has 
taken several takes of a drum track. I love when a producer says, we, never, we didn't have to do any comps on your tracks. That's awesome. Because I don't want my drums chopped up. I want my ideas to, to, the trajectory of my ideas should last first note to last, not here's the verse, copy paste, copy paste, here's the chorus, copy paste, copy paste. I'm a little bit of a purist when it comes to that. When I'm doing percussion on tracks, I will play the shaker for the entire four and a half minute long song. I'm not gonna give you eight measures and say, go ahead and cut and paste. I want the human essence and the human feel to last the entire song. I mean, come on, right? We're humans, we need to make it feel like humans are playing music. Otherwise, everything should just be programmed and we would take the life out of music. So, as often as possible, I want to have a take where the whole band performs and everyone does a perfect job. Now, in a scenario where you're coming in to a session I don't really know the musicians. I don't know how they operate in the studio. You're gonna have times where you're tracking and you notice something wrong happens in one of the other instruments. You don't stop. As long as you're doing the job, you don't stop. Unless the producer stops you or unless it's an absolute train wreck and you sense that no one is gonna be able to get back to where you're supposed to be. Because to me, when I'm in the studio tracking, in my mind, the most important thing is to get a good drum take. Everyone else can play, again, to the perfect drum take. But especially when I'm on a session, it's like, I'm here for this day, and I've gotta get all your music recorded. We're need, we need to focus on making the drum takes great, because your band can come back if they've made mistakes and they can play to a perfect drum take. But if I'm stopping every time someone else makes a mistake, we might not ever get my part done. And my part has to be done because when I leave and, and if I have to come back, you have to pay me again. And so I don't want that to have to happen for the artist because I can do it the way that it's supposed to be done. So I don't want someone else to slow my process down. So a lot of times I just plow through and barrel through and hope that everyone can come back and do it. But you know, that that's, that's come and go. You never know what's gonna happen, especially when you don't know the musicians, you don't know what the producer's gonna say. So a lot of times it's really good to take maybe three takes of a song. I just did a record a couple weeks ago and we did every song three times. Now on that session, and I don't have any footage of that to show you, but on that session, the core band, the core we, we were a core band that does lots of people's records. We were hired to from a producer as a band to back up an artist. So we were hired to play this other person's music. No rehearsal, we had charts, we got into the studio, and we literally were reading the charts and we would play each song three times. And sometimes the first take was, was great, but we, they always wanted to have, that producer always wanted to have three takes so they could you know, make decisions later on which one they wanted to keep. Now in that particular situation, I play with these musicians all the time. We all know how each other play and we can go in and play a record for somebody without ever hearing their song. We can just 
read the music down because the producer will have made charts of the song and worked with the artist ahead of time and be able to, to, to tell us exactly what he wants, the vibe, the sounds, all that. And we just go in, get sounds, put our headphones on, start the tune, record it, and usually it's good. That's a, that's a very special scenario when you have a, a group of musicians that gets hired as a group to back up an artist. The situation that I'm showing you today, like I said, it's a band, they're bringing me in to play drums. So they know how their songs go. So I have to kind of a little bit take a back seat, but I'm also gonna step in and say something if I feel like it's appropriate. So you will see that there are times when I step in and mention something about the tempo or mention something about the form because I want the music to be as fluid as possible. And sometimes when you're in a band and you're writing the music, you don't have, uh, you can't step back and see it from a different perspective because you're so in it that you might not realize that, you know, two choruses before the bridge isn't a good idea, perhaps. And so I'm gonna point that out if it feels appropriate. If I've, if I've gained the respect of the producer and the rest of the artists, the rest of the band hired me to come in, they trust my judgment beyond just my musicianship so I'm going to feel comfortable saying, hey, let's change the tempo of this song. Or, hey, why don't we make the intro this long? And then instead of doing a double chorus into the bridge, let's do one chorus into the bridge and then do the double chorus at the end and put the solo in at the end, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'll, I'll kind of make suggestions that I think will make the song more effective. So that's kind of, that's kind of how I function in the studio. Um, the other thing that, that's so important, and I mentioned this in the video, is being a professional musician is all about, it's almost more important to be on time and to be professional. Then you've got, I mean, the, the being able to play is the given, but being a professional person is what's gonna keep the phone ringing, right? So being early to sessions, and I, w I was one minute early to this session, and I walked in, and as you'll see, everyone was already there and I'm like oh my gosh I'm late I was one minute early but I felt like I was late because everyone else was already there so you really want to give yourself a lot of time super early is way better than almost there on time you will not last if you are late to a gig like right now I left for my gig two and a half hours early my gig is about two miles over there and it's such a beautiful day such a great scene. I mean, look. You can't really see it, but that's the Sears Tower. Let's see if I can get get you to see it. There's the Sears Tower right there. It's just a gorgeous day in Chicago. So I'm I'm on a I'm like I'm in the on the roof of a parking garage downtown because I'm way early for my gig because I knew I wanted to do this video and uh, it was a perfect opportunity. So I'm still gonna be super early for my gig and I'm comfortable, I'm relaxed. So early is always better, but I'm not always as early as I'd like to be. The other thing is staying with the pace, you know, I'm just gonna go ahead and say it. 
stay at the pace of the people who are paying you, right? So if it's break time and the person paying the bill has finished eating and they're ready to get back, you're finished eating too. It doesn't matter how much food you have left. That's just an example. You stay at the pace of the person that's paying you. So if they want to keep on going, you keep on going. If they want to take a break, sure, you take a break, but you're ready to get back to it right when they are. Because you don't want them to feel like you're taking advantage of them at all. So always go at the pace of the person that is paying you, the person that's in charge. Either the producer, or the artist, or the songwriter, or whoever's in charge of the session. Always be ready a minute before they're ready. I highly recommend really paying attention to that. And that goes true on gigs as well. You know, stay at the pace of the person in charge, the person who's paying. And you'll always be on their good side because they will feel like you're giving them the respect that they want. You're giving them, you're, you're, that's a way of appreciating the work that you're getting is by being on time, professional, ready at any moment for anything that gets thrown at you, okay? That's a super important thing to remember. Um, trying to think if there's anything else in the recording session world. Oh, speaking of getting paid, never talk about money in front of anybody. Because very often, on certain gigs, certain sessions, you might be getting paid differently than the other people. Now, if it's a if it's a union session, usually everyone's getting paid the same amount. But a lot of times, you know, I have my particular fee. Other musicians in town have their particular fee. We've all kind of agreed on fees that we charge. But you never know who's getting what, and you don't want to talk about money. Just keep that between you and the person paying you. Super important. And that brings me to a second point. On this particular session that I just played, they wanted me for three hours, and the session ended up taking almost, I think, I think the session almost took six hours. Recording took five hours, but the time I was on site took six hours. So when we hit the marker of my time, I had to take a break and talk to the producer and say, I just want you to know that we are at the end of my contracted time and I know you have more songs you want to record. So I just want you to be aware that we're going into overtime for me and here is my rate. Are we good or or do we need to stop and, and schedule me to come in another day or whatever? But you want to have that conversation. Usually you want to have that conversation ahead of time. Like, yes, I can do your session. This is what I charge. And if we go over that time, this is what I charge per hour. And the way that I do things is I do a, I have a per hour charge and I have a per song charge, whichever is greater. So, so if we do five songs and it takes three hours, then I'm gonna get paid for playing five songs. If we play one song and it takes six hours, then I'm gonna get paid for being there for six hours. So 
I have a rate per song and a rate per hour. Whichever is greater, that's how I work my sessions. Sometimes when I go into overtime beyond the hours that I promised to be there, sometimes it's just the same rate. Sometimes I say, I'll do it for half my rate or whatever. But I want, you really want the client to know what you're doing before you get there. So there's no surprises. And also, they're not thinking about the clock. They're thinking about the music. So, you know, we hit my time. I said, we're at the, we're at the end here. Do you want to keep going? Here's what we need to do. And you just, you're totally pro about it. And it's no big deal. You don't want to him and haw and be like, well, you know, we're kind of done. I kind of need to go. Uh, but, you know, I need to make some more money. You know, none of that. You just say, we're in, we're in overtime. This is my rate. Do you want me to stay? Do you want to reschedule? Let me know what you want to do. But we're at the time where we've agreed that I would be here. It's super important. Business, music, business. There's everyone, There's always been this, this crazy thing about music and business not being able to be related. But being an artist is being an artist. It has nothing to do with being a, being a business person. Being an artist is in you. It's That's your soul. That's how you... That's how you express yourself. That's the music inside of you that you bring out. That's what people, that's why people hire you because of your artistry. The business is making sure that your artistry is being compensated so you can continue to do it. You want to make a living so you can continue to be an artist. But the, the, the place that it gets me messy, I think for people is when you're playing, you're, you're catering, and, and even this is a silly idea. If you get hired by a producer to do a record, you're gonna do whatever that producer needs you to do, right? So this record I just did was a children's album. I'm not gonna go in there and demand that I play a bunch of crazy licks and a lot of weird polymetric coordination stuff, no. I'm gonna go in and play a gentle samba. Or, like for instance, on this particular record, they wanted me to play clave, 3-2 clave, bop, 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 but they wanted me to play like a samba bass drum. So those two things don't go together, right? That's Brazilian and Cuban. I'm not gonna say that to the producer. I'm not gonna say, well, this isn't, you're not really allowed to play clave when you're playing, uh, you know, bossa nova bass drum. You can't, you're, you gotta play bossa nova, you know. No, go with the vision of the producer. Let that happen. You don't have to be some purist that demands that things be completely perfect in that scenario. Now, if I was playing in a, in a, in a high art jazz situation or, a, or something, I would say, no, can't play the clave with the samba. We have to stay in one, one place or the other. And in this, in, in this session we just did, the actual clave that fit the melody better was 2-3. I should have been playing 2-3 the whole time, but the producer wanted to hear 3-2, so I played 3-2. And you just do, you pick your battles, and, and that's definitely not one of them. You want the producer, if the producer has an idea for you, it's so much cooler to say, yeah, totally, I can totally do that. Because they, then that empowers them. That makes them feel like they have a great idea, and, and they hired you because you can pull that off. And guess what? The next time they're producing something, you're gonna be the first person they think about because you are the one that made their life easier as a producer. A lot of times the producer's in a hot seat. 
They're trying to make the artists happy. They're trying to make the musicians happy. They're trying to impress the musicians a lot of times. A lot of times the producer wants the musicians to think that they know something. Because a lot of times the musicians know more than the producer knows. A lot of times. Musically, rhythmically, tempo-wise, sound, everything that a trained musician has gone through in their career is more than the producer usually. Usually. Now I'm very lucky to let this train go by. Once again, I've been very lucky to work with producers in Chicago who I have the utmost respect for. They know so much. They know way more than me about every single detail of the music. They can hear more complex harmony than I can hear. They understand rhythm more complexly. They understand tones, they understand engineering, they understand all the aspects of actually being a real producer. That is an amazing experience because when you're working with someone who completely understands all the details of what they want and can express that in musical terminology, there's nothing better because they hired you because they trust you and they're gonna tell you exactly what to do on a level that you can appreciate so you get to actually be the artist that you know you are and everything's a beautiful situation. Sometimes you get hired by a producer who somehow got the position of producer because they know the artist and they have some kind of artistic vision and I've done those too and those are weird but you know you just roll with it. The important thing about being on a session or being on a gig is to make things as frictionless as possible for everybody. So you learn the personalities of the band, you learn what the producer wants, you learn how they think, you pay attention very quickly and you sum everybody up and then it's, I consider it my job to, to make sure everything's balanced, everything's cool. If one person in the band likes to make funny jokes, laugh at the jokes. If one person is very concerned about the way the chart looks, then talk about that with that person. But always try to be on every single person's side. That's how I do it. Because if you, if you pick out each person's personality, and the things that they're interested in, and you can kind of cater something to that, then you've, you've won everybody over. And in a situation where you're the only person that nobody knows, it's really important to like get in there quick and get to know everybody and be on everyone's good side. It's very easy to do. You just have to kind of pay attention to everyone and, you know, be cool. But as soon as some friction starts, you always go to the person in charge. So if you notice some friction in the musicians or the way that they're talking to the producer, the producer's the, the boss, always. So you, you, know, you, just, you, just, you learn to navigate things as you go through this stuff. Sometimes there's no opinion from the musicians. Sometimes you're just told what to do and you do it. Sometimes the musicians are kind of in, evol involved, especially if it's a band that hires a producer. That's the weirdest one because the band already has their ideas, the producer has their ideas, and there's a little bit of conflict. And in that situation, you have to go with the producer. Unless the musicians have a really valid idea, and then you can kind of try to figure out how to work that out. Okay. Um, I guess I've talked for a really long time. This is a lot of fun talking about. Um, 
I hope you have some questions. I'm happy to answer anything. Like I said, I've done this so much and I feel like I'm finally ready to, you know, give back to everybody that is new on this journey or that's been doing this journey but wants a fresh perspective or some different ideas. Um, I'm all ears, okay? Take care, talk to you soon. All right, there you have it. Again, I'm so sorry about the sound in the background. Like I said, I was recording that outside and I don't know, it's kind of fun to hear the sounds of Chicago if you're into that kind of thing. But um, yeah, if you have any questions, I'm always happy to talk. You can reach me at Drum Mantra on Instagram. There's lots of Drum Mantra things on Facebook. And the email is drummantra at gmail.com. I'm happy to answer any questions or if you have an idea for a podcast that you'd like for me to talk about, I'm all ears. All right. Have a great weekend. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening to the Drum Mantra Podcast. Your time and attention is much appreciated. I would love it if you went to the iTunes store and left a rating. And please share this with anybody that you think would like to go deeper with their practice. Take care.